Welcome to Manitobaville, the crossroads of interesting stories from all corners of the province. All roads lead to Manitobaville. Remember that. And if you bring your guitar, then uh, you might get a strung for you, and it might help your career. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing you can do at the crossroads is learn about the news, and that's if you live out in the Shoal Lake area, anywhere between Shoal Lake and where? What a good region out there. Shoal Lake, Birtle, Fox Warren, I do believe up to Russell, and uh, some other surrounding areas, Binscarth in there, um, Strathclair. Lots of different little areas, uh, towns and uh, regional rural areas are covered by the crossroads this week. And this brings us, funnily enough, who are we meeting on the crossroads? <laughs> We're meeting Ryan Nesbitt. And Ryan is the publisher, and he's taken over. Uh, it's a family tradition to publish local news. Um, it seems natural to go into the uh, the family business. I do believe, why not? Something you know, something you love doing. And um, Ryan's right into this this venture. It's a really good, uh, it's, it's a good lesson in bringing things online in the digital age and how you can transform uh, your your newspaper product so that you can stay relevant and still provide people with uh, that great communication device, the storytelling device that talks about you and where you live. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's the crossroads this week. And we'll get right to that interview after I tell you and remind you, I have to berate you here, that the crossroads to connect with us is through social medias, it's through our website, and it's through podcast podcatchers that you can subscribe to us through. So go to any of those, look for Manitobaville, and our website's manitobaville.ca, and uh, send us a DM, send us emails, send us donations, send us whatever you got in your pockets. Loose change is always good. <laughs> we don't have any containers set up around town, but, well, you know, if you really need us to have it, I think we can find a way. So what we do with that money is we turn it back into gas and uh, and and put into the necessaries of podcasting, of which turns out there's quite a few. It's not cheap venture, so uh, any 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 support is totally totally happy uh, happily received and utilized in the direct making of podcasts because that's what we do. That's what we're doing here, and uh, this is your friendly Manitobaville Crossroads, and uh, where you meet us and we meet you, and we can introduce you to some other interesting people. Just go down through the podcast feed and you will see all of our new friends, our expanded community, if you will. And it's been a lot of fun. This is a really, really great uh, venture we've taken on here. So it's uh, something to listen to, something to behold. Every interview has some other interesting piece of information in it that you just wouldn't have thought about or heard anywhere else. Maybe you did, but then there's something else you didn't know. So... You know, uh, check them all out. Check them all out. Listen to them all the way through. Use them, you know, when you're out on the uh, the tractor or when you're driving your truck around or, you know, when you're running errands or when you're just uh, doing something in the garden. Throw the old headphones on and uh, off we go because you can use your phone for everything now. It's great. <laughs> okay. So, again, tell tell your friends, tell everybody about us, and we look forward to expanding our family in that way. Okay, um, we're going to talk to Ryan Nesbitt at the Crossroads this week down in Shoal Lake, Manitoba. 
right after we do a little bit of advertisement uh, for the show, a little bit of show support on this side. A uh, little sound comes up and uh, goes just like this. We'll see you on the other side. All right. As for publishing, we, uh, well, it's, uh, it's a family business. Uh, my father started it uh, about 45 years ago, I guess. Uh, he got into uh, the community newspaper business when he was 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Shoal Lake here, and he slowly expanded into other communities around. And uh, I think it was in the early 2000s. I want to say maybe 2002. Uh, he blended the four community newspapers into one called Crossroads This Week. Okay. And uh, and that's sort of where we're at now. Is it's we're uh, we operate as kind of a regional entity. Um, still very much community based, but, you know, include multiple towns, which, you know, gives your advertisers a bit more reach and uh, certainly opens up more story opportunities and allows us to, you know, operate as a little bit bigger paper than, you know, some small towns that are reduced down to basically nothing now because, you know, your mm-hmm. streets aren't run with businesses the way they once were. And, and, uh, yeah, so that's sort of where we're at. We've been able to kind of keep um, some real size to our paper and, and uh, I think, offer something to the communities as a whole, as a region, rather than just as a separate community here and there. Okay. What communities' papers did you were amalgamated? It was the Shoal Lake Star, uh, the Hamiota Echo, the Bertle Eyewitness, and the Rossburn Review. Okay, and and so those were amalgamated in two thousand two. Yeah, I believe yeah. I believe it was two thousand two. So who owned those before before two thousand two? Uh, well, my father did, but previous to those, I believe they were all just independent, singularly owned um, papers. Okay, so he he turned them from yeah, because I remember there's a period where, um, like the Bertle paper, uh, it changed ownership. Was it locally owned at that time? It must have been. Okay. This this is all before my yeah. day, so uh, to, not super sure. But I'm okay. I, I think each of the papers had individual owners, which yeah. he bought and then sort of ran uh, them. I wouldn't say as a group, but mm-hmm. you know, um, shared production, shared some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then before kind of making one publication, there was a second section in all of the papers that kind of operated as more of a regional news mm-hmm. that applied to all the towns. Yeah. And then it just, that sort of became the entire paper. Yeah. That's, that's sort of what I remember. It just went through some sort of phase shifts. And then that was during the period in the nineties when the, the internet came along and newspapers were hitting hard times. So it's nice that he held on to, uh, the titles and kept them going. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I think there was a bit of, uh, whether he knew it or not at the time, I think merging them into one publication uh, made a much stronger publication in the long run and was sort of uh, future-proofing for now, where a lot of, you know, there's three newspapers uh, closed up in in southwest Manitoba, Mm -hmm. was it last month, and, you know, there's just... It's hard in these small towns to operate probably, you know, unless you have a really good business community behind your newspaper, it's probably pretty tough to Mm -hmm. run 
just in in one small town um and so i think like i say i don't think he maybe realized quite at the time but he was really ahead of the time as far as you know coming out with a regional publication that allowed us to be strong into the future and really keep page comments up right now even in mm-hmm. you know the hard economic times we're in um you know and, and really put out a strong product and serve the communities even as others are closing around you yeah it's sort of like having like the Brandon Sun, even though it sounds like the Brandon paper. It's really a, you know, it's a really regional kind of paper too. Same with the Winnipeg yeah. Free Press, those kind of things where the Bertle Eyewitness is a specific, small, um, you know, demographic, like just in population count. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think as the years go by, uh, we're much more inclined to travel. And I think our worldview has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, as when I was a kid, you know, you go to Brandon, it was a big deal or you mm-hmm. drive to Winnipeg. Well, that was mm-hmm. a really big deal. And and now people commute that for work. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I think we need to think more regionally in the rural areas. And I think having a strong region leads to having stronger individual communities. Yeah. And I think sometimes our communities are work fighting against each other. You know, out here, you know, we have a community every, 20 minutes down the road. And sometimes they work against each other. You know, mm-hmm. I want to have everything. I want to have this and that and that and that. I think sometimes a little bit more regional thinking and saying, if we could have this within 20 minutes and we could have this over here mm-hmm. and we could have this over here and sort of share and sort of work together. And I think in the long run, that's how you can all of a sudden, you know, double, triple, quadruple your population base to attend your events if you work together or to attend your businesses, if you work together. And I, that for me is the way I see small town community survival is a little bit more cooperation and um, planning together and less individualism. Yeah. Did the, did the, um, did the amalgamation of municipalities uh, change people's thinking on that? Because that would have been a hard thing to even think about at the time when the the province said you have to do this. To having done it, was what was the 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 think shift going on during that process? You know, I don't know. I think it aligned um, some towns out here together, but honestly it wasn't combining towns that were super far apart and uninvolved anyways. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was joining, say, the um, what they used to call the rural municipality with the town of. So um, Hamiota, for example, had the rural municipality of Hamiota and the town of Hamiota, and they mm-hmm. combined into one entity. So it was really people who lived five, ten minutes out of town who came to town for their mail, came to town for their groceries, came to town for everything anyways. Yeah now it just kind of falls under one umbrella. So it was probably more of a cost-saving measure in that way and less of a lining, you know, uh, to neighboring towns because unless there was a few smaller communities that kind of, I don't want to say got gobbled up, but sort of had to align with the bigger centers. Mm-hmm. But most of the, the um, medium to big centers out here, I guess if you want to call a town of a thousand big, but mm-hmm. they... Uh, <laughs> 
they sort of just joined up with their RM and sort of had one council, one mayor rather than a reeve and a mayor and two sets of councils and two sets of offices and two sets of everything. Yeah. I was just reading a story uh, the other day on uh, vaccines for the for COVID-19. And um, they were talking about, well, we did a small test, um, what do you call that, whatever, medical uh, test with uh, subjects. And uh, the person said, yeah, well, we, it was very small. We only had 60,000 participants. And really, that's a small village. Oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I thought this person's, <laughs> I don't know if they've ever been out of whatever megatropolis <laughs> they grew up in, but... Uh, their sky tower in New York, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I remember no, times exactly. when... I remember times when Beulah, like I'd say, is it, what is it? Because uh, you're in school and you're learning about towns and hamlets and villages. And Is Beulah a village or a hamlet? And well, I don't know. <laughs> How many people yeah, are, they, are counting on your fingers? Well, technically, I guess it's a, you know... <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a dot on the map there somewhere, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. How you want to define it, it depends on uh, whether you live there or you don't, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I always, no, I, I always I, tell people I grew up around Beulah, and they, they say, where's that? So I say, well, it's, it's just down from uh, Silver by Isabella, which is next to Arrow River, just over from Crandall, and <laughs> there I <Yeah>. slowly cross. <laughs> yeah. yeah, slowly get and keep it all the small ones. Eh? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes well, then so. half the time, if you said, oh, it's just down from Birdall, they'd go, ah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's down from Russell. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe they've heard of that one. Yeah. Oh, well, it's northwest of Brandon. Oh, okay, well, yeah. I got that. Yeah, yeah. I, I find the one that works is, is uh, do you know where Verdon is on number one as you're driving like to Vancouver or wherever you go? <laughs> yeah. Go north. <laughs> and they go, oh, okay, yeah. okay, up in there. Okay, yeah. And they probably have no, no visual idea of what, what to expect, but, oh boy. So, um, did this idea, idea of amalgamation then, um, I guess this goes back to the depopulation of small towns too, where, you know, when I was growing up in the seventies in the area, Bertle was a thriving town. Show Lake was a real thriving town. I think it still is to, to more of an extent. Uh, but we, I went to Russell recently and, and it, it used to be like, going to Russell, like you say, going to Brandon, going to Winnipeg. But for us, when we were kids, it was like, we're going to Russell. And it was like, okay, yay, it's big. You know, it's a big town. And um, we went back there and it was just kind of, you know, other than from the highway, we went down the main street and it just didn't seem, um, it seemed like it took a real hit. And uh, some other towns around as well, that they used to be little busy towns, just seemed to be, you know, just people living there as opposed to it being a, a functioning town. And I was thinking, I was wondering how long that's been probably going on since like the eighties when, you know, farm kids didn't stay on the farm because farmers were just getting bigger at that time. And people that retired would move off the farms into towns and then, you know, eventually retire, but pass away. And then they didn't get replaced. Has that been sort of a, like, as far as that trend went, and the idea of amalgamation, because when there are fewer people, you do reach out wider areas. But is that, what's the trend now in the uh, 2020s? How's, like in recent years, is it is it going to where people are moving back to small towns? I don't know, to be really honest with you, whether they're moving back to small towns. I, I've, I've heard a lot of, you know, um, farmers retiring to Brandon. Um, which I would still lean to is probably the case. I think there may be a bit of a, you know, you said in the 80s where 
you know, the sons and daughters move off the farm, don't come back to farm. I think maybe that's a different trend now. I think um, I certainly know of a lot of my friends or whoever it would be that, you know, decided to take over the family farm and, and you know, and really they look at it as a business and they look at it as, um, you know, they get to stay in the area with their friends and they get to farm and they get to do what they love. I think that's what it is for a lot of people is getting to do what they love. Um, they grew up farming with their dad and that's what they want to do, whether they go off to school first for a bit or whatever it is. But I, I think, I think the, the, the trend of the, the very small towns, um, getting smaller is probably there still the towns that have lost their schools and lost all their services. Those towns aren't, no one's probably moving back there. Um, unfortunately, I, I think there's been, um, you know, the rural population's aging. It's not, mm-hmm. that's not new, new news, but I think um, some of those towns are drying up as their population ages, and then they move to the, the next closest town to, you know, go into the personal care home or into senior living or whatever it is, or right. maybe retiring to Brandon or because they have grandkids there or they have whatever mm-hmm. it is there. That's sort of the population decline in the rural areas. There are towns like Russell, and Russell um, is probably a bit of an outlier for our area just in terms of they're a fairly forward-thinking community, and, and they have a pretty thriving business community in Russell. Um, you know, they have some big groups there that have, you know, done a lot of things business-wise, and they have a lot of attractions out there, you know, the the ski hill's a big one. It brings a lot of people in. They have, uh, you know, the potash just over the border in Saskatchewan. Um, I think a lot of young families live there and work over there. That's a big draw for them. It's about towns finding what their draw is. Um, you know, Show Lake, for example, we have uh, the the farm dealerships here, which are mm-hmm. employ a lot of people and, you know, a lot of young mechanics. And then they have young families and that keeps the schools going and that keeps you know, the business is open and, and certain towns have those things. They have their industry. They have something pop up close to them that allows a reason for people to live there and be in the area and can see themselves having a career and having a family there. And, uh, and some towns, unfortunately, don't have that. And they've lost a business along the way or they've lost whatever it is along the way. And, and that's kind of just led to their slow quicker than some population decline. And I think, um, again, going back to what I said earlier, I think the more that the communities can work together and be less individual and start to think together and plan for things and hold things together, I think in the end it makes everyone stronger. I really, really do. It's nothing to drive 20 minutes now. It's nothing to drive half an hour. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so different than it once was. And I just think the days of everyone being able to have their own everything are unfortunately over as you know the the percentage of the population in the province that lives in cities is high and um, it's hard to run schools or hospitals or all those essential services in every town and that's hard to hear but I think it's kind of an unfortunate reality of what the future holds and uh, I'm not saying we're not going to have schools we certainly need to have schools but, uh, you know, thinking together, could we have, um, you know, 
bigger schools and could we have bigger hospitals that are fully staffed and offer more opportunities for our children? I don't know. That's, you know, that's not my uh, job to work on those things, but I, I think that could be somewhere that we go in the future. And in the end, it might offer more opportunities for our kids. I mean, there's drawbacks of everything, you know, maybe the kids are on the bus longer, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. which is a negative for sure. Um, but, uh, I think that's probably where it's going to end up going. And, uh, you know, even with businesses and uh, recreation facilities and everything, if we want to have really strong facilities that compete with things in the city, it's it, we've got to work together And because you can't have the same funding go into 10 facilities in this area that one facility in Winnipeg serves the same amount of population. Obviously, that's going to be a better facility. It's got a lot more money behind it. If you can pool, you know, even two or three of the the resources out here and operate one facility with three budgets, Mm. wow, that's going to be a pretty nice facility. Yeah, I guess the ones that hold communities hostage are are like provincial budgeted systems like healthcare, where you're like a hospital is a big major you know, cost and operational deal. Yeah. So some communities just can't, don't warrant that. And you have to choose where that goes and that can sort of guide your demographics as far as Mm -hmm. what's in the small towns versus what's in that town. But but like you say, like a, like a skating rink or something, because now we use for decades. Now we've used corrugated sheds instead of, you know, wood structured buildings that cost so much to put up. And, um, you know, I imagine the cost of of running artificial ice makers is probably, you know, that kind of system is probably semi affordable once it's installed. So little things that are lifestyle induced or um, or oriented could really play a factor in drawing people to a community where they know to see the doctor they're going to have to drive, you know, twenty minutes, twenty five minutes to a, a larger center that has that that uh, facility. And that's and it's honestly one of the big um, thing out in rural areas that causes a lot of um, what's the word I want to choose here that that, that causes a, a big discussion among mm-hmm. people is yeah. not <laughs> wanting to lose their services, yeah. their schools and their hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. And that makes total sense. It mm-hmm. really, really does. And I'm not saying take those things away. God no. I'm saying uh, I think personally, that 20 years down the road, these might be the decisions that are decided for us is, um, you know, uh, having to do some of these things. And, and um, you're right, it's, it's hard to staff as well. I know some of the rural hospitals, that's what's happened is they haven't been able to show a good example. They weren't able to find doctors at a time where the two doctors they had um, ended up leaving the community. They sort of retired. And they weren't able to find doctors in time, and it sort of led to the semi, semi-permanent semi limbo that we're in right now of whether we're going to have an emergency room going forward at all. Um, there's there's just some of that stuff that it's the unfortunate reality of uh, small towns. Is it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But strong people, you know, mm-hmm. strong people out here have been getting by forever and finding a way, and it's just a different outlook, you know, I think is what's going to be required sometimes with things, hard decisions, hard choices, 
and working together because, you know, we're an area, we're a, we're a region that can work together and be stronger because of it. I really, really think that. Yeah. Don't they, well, being healthcare, it's all paid by the government. Don't you think the governments could tell doctors to go and service, you know, go work at that hospital? Yeah, I honestly know nothing about how that yeah. process works. Yeah, because it's uh, weird that a doctor can, can choose not to. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, we're paying your, your wage, man. Go work there for a while, even if they circulate or something. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, like I say, I don't really know how that recruitment process works, but I know they have a hard time with it sometimes. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, um, from, from the limit or the, the issues that communities face that are that might be seen as negative issues by people looking to move out out into uh, rural communities what are what are some of the upsides what are people that move out there why are they moving to a, a community to read your paper and to hang out in your towns and and uh and be neighbors with your neighbors you know what's, well, what's the draw i mean i think rural living is simple living a lot of the time in the same way that you know people own cottages and they own you know they drive out of the cities it's peaceful it's beautiful right we got wide open spaces and you know i don't want to say leave your worries behind but it's it's a beautiful open place to be sometimes you know and it's not like anyone you know anywhere you not without challenges or hardships but it's uh, it's just kind of sometimes an easy way of life, you know. I, a farmer goes out and he works his field, he puts in a good day's work, and he goes home to his family, you know. It's it's sometimes outside the rat race, and uh, I think that's why a lot of cottage country and stuff is really thriving in the province, because you know people want to escape the the hustle bustle go go and uh, kind of just get back to a little bit of easy living, you know. Uh, we're just bombarded all day on our phones and at work and it's keeping up with everybody and keeping up with the Joneses. And that's why you go to the cottage, right? Is you mm-hmm. just go out and live simply for a few days. And I think, uh, that's sort of the draw of people to rural areas. You know, I know our area specifically is, you know, great hunting and fishing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if that's up your alley, Hey, you know, there's, uh, you know, good access to recreational facilities in all our towns. You know, it's easy for easy and affordable comparatively to the city for your kids to play hockey. Um, you know, affordable housing, um, those sorts of things. You know, there's there's a lot of advantages to it. Uh, you know, you're giving up being able to go down and see a play on Friday night, or you know, go to an art exhibit, or go eat at a fancy restaurant if those are the sorts of things you like. But if those are the sorts of things you like, you're probably not moving three hours from Winnipeg into the rural area. (laughs) So uh, it's kind of uh, depends on who you are and what you value. But uh, rural living is sometimes uh, nicely simple, I guess, Mm -hmm. to some degree. Yeah, especially with COVID now with the shutdown. um, We found a lot of people who are, you know, talk about the rat race and kids in 80 different sports and they're doing 50 different things and you wouldn't even think they're in the same family. Uh, they all start going, Oh, this is, this is nice when you don't really have much to do except your basic work and then, you know, chores around the house and stuff. And then, wow, we get to actually, you know, act as a family again and go for a walk and, 
garden, <laughs> you know, and just yeah. I things. think for me personally, this whole time has been sort of double sided. It's nice that sort of just taking a step back sometimes. Like, wow, everything going on is just such a wild time to be alive. It sort of makes you realize what's really important, right? Your mm-hmm. family and the people you're missing and all those things. It's it's nice to slow down. But at the same time, I also have a two-year-old, so being cooped up in the house all day with nowhere to go is also tough. So that's the other side of it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we're learning to talk and we're learning to uh, have tantrums. So those, uh, it, it's been an interesting time to be cooped up, for sure, with winter looming and nowhere to go. But, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Well, Seriously though, it, it's it is it's well, a bit of a also just to slow down and appreciate that time with you know with yeah. your kids and your your everything like that too. So well, I think this is the other side of the helicopter parenting. This gets back to um, my generation of parents and the ones before that, where go out and play was the refrain you'd hear all the time. Just just go play, unstructured play time. Just I got stuff to do. Just go out there and play yeah you know? go play right yeah, yeah. Well, then, now you kind of got to be watching them at the park or whatever because you don't want them licking something they shouldn't or uh, <laughs> right you kind of got to fly right over top of them too so uh whatever thought of that but yeah yeah some kind of happy medium i guess i but, guess so uh, i don't know but it seems yeah it seems to just be changing so i was wondering if and, and then there's this whole back to the land grow your own food young people are saying you know i can get a solar panel i can go live off the grid i can you know, I want to. I want to know where my food comes from. I want to see it raised and grown. Do you get any of that going on out in that area? Lots, actually. Yeah, there's a. I'm not the world's uh, leading agriculture expert, but I know we've had some stories in our uh, publications here. Just you know, about people coming back and really really making efforts on their farm, young people taking over farms and doing, uh, you know, all types of new egg practices, regenerative farming or, um, you know, being organic farms, uh, people powering everything, like you say, solar panels on their farms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's, that's definitely happening here. That's not just something you read about on the internet. That's something we see happening in our communities. And I think, by and large led by you know young people who want to you know do their part to save the planet whatever it is um yeah that's definitely happening here um we've definitely had a heard about i'm sure you've heard about as well like this summer um as far as people camping right Mm -hmm. like wow just the numbers are astronomical our campgrounds are full everywhere right because that started where people thought the campgrounds were they, the province had sort of closed them for a while as a precaution, and then suddenly they opened them, and yeah, everybody just was like, like "Let me get out there." Yeah, well, I mean, even myself, we you know we saw my family. We uh, we bought a small motorhome this summer, yeah. and uh, that's kind of how we chose. You know, we needed something to do, like I say, mm-hmm. with the two year old. So we we bought a motorhome. I know a friend that they bought a camper, and kind of our our two young families. We sort of did that for the summer and. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know, like you say, you're cut out of the rat race. You leave your phone in the camper and you just kind of be, enjoy the kids, enjoy each other's company. And it was nice to, uh, to have that and, you know, do something different and something we'll continue to do, um, for sure into the future. So it, uh, yeah, it was a nice change of pace. I think, I feel like a lot of people are going to learn a lot about themselves. The people who are open to learning about themselves will learn a lot about themselves in this time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, 
it's a good time to do that. And I think they're, they're talking about it's going to be like this for another year and a half. So, or whatever it was, you know, till the end of 2021 or something, as far as the, the threat of COVID until it dissipates or, or whatever they, they figure out. So I guess that's a good yeah. little window for people to say, well, if it's going to be like this anyway, you know, we can go and try four or five months or half a year and give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, the world's at our fingertips these days, right? Anything you want to learn, you got a little black thing in your pocket that you can pull out and learn anything you want. There's no excuses these days to kind of not do or learn something about yourself. If that's really what you want to do. I mean, we're limited in maybe where we can travel right now, but mm. it, it doesn't stop you from doing things within reason, within the restrictions, within, you know, being socially responsible, mm-hmm. etc. Of course, follow the guidelines, but, you know, camping is a safe thing you can do and be distant and enjoy each other's company. And I think maybe that's why a lot of people got on board. I know, it, like I said, out here, our campgrounds were full. And I think I'd heard anyways that the uh, camper dealerships had great years and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, and yeah. all the all the resort places that were worried at the beginning too, because they'd lost a lot of out of province, I guess, uh, bookings. But they filled right up within people that were going stir crazy in the cities and big towns. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, even the rural areas here, I think people like to get away and go camping, and you know, like you say, whether that's venture to a different area and explore, or they like to go fishing, or they like to whatever it is, you know, just enjoy with the kids but i think that's the same thing out here as you see a lot of people going out camping on the weekends it's just it was the thing this summer for sure yeah so um what what kind of things are underserviced out in that area where people who are listening you know if you said hey somebody should be doing this or taking this over or you know rejuvenating this area or this this building or you know, just, just sort of working with what's already there so you don't lose it or, or you can make it better. What kind of things would you point to? That's a good question. I don't want to give away all my business secrets. <laughs> uh, what what would we say? I mean, I'm not sure I have an answer to that. I think it's it will go back to what we talked about earlier. Things that are top of mind for people are, you know, Where's our healthcare system going? Where's our school system going? Those are really the big ones. Um, and those are the biggest concerns in rural areas and kind of probably have been for a while and kind of probably will be for a while until something changes or doesn't change. Do you think you know, people think just get a better education in the, like a Shoal Lake size school as, a port, as opposed to like a Brandon size school? Ah, that's going to depend who you ask. My wife grew up in Winnipeg, and she'll tell me that her education way is the, the way for our daughter, and I grew up in, you know, with a class of 17, and I'll tell you that I had a great education, and that should be the way our daughter's raised. So mm-hmm. it, I, I think it's such a, you, you like what you know. Um, I think it's very different, probably, like my wife was in a class of, you know, two or 300 graduates. And I was in a class of 17. How many of them does she get back together with regularly? Um, no, don't say zero. Don't say zero. A few. No, definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not zero. You know, she casts her her close friend group from, from, from high school and myself, you know, all, all my close friends are basically my high school friends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so are those groups about the same size? Would you say? Give or take. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say. 
of course they 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 get a little bit smaller once you get into your thirties and you have mm-hmm. families and you have whatever and you don't get to see each other quite yeah. the same as you did. But um, you know, a, a rural education is a different education in a way that your school feels a little. It is smaller and it feels smaller, but not necessarily in a bad way. Um, you know all your teachers because they're your neighbors. Mm-hmm. They they know you since you were born because they know your parents. Mm-hmm. Or your, you know, your teacher's kids babysat you, or it's it's just so many connections, and everyone's kind of entwined in each other's life. It's a kind of a an interesting, safe feeling, like people are watching over you in a good way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to take away from a city education. You know, the kids in a the city they get a lot more class choices and opportunities. Um, you know, if, if you're an, an arts minded person, the, the courses you could take in photography or arts drawing, those are limitless in the city. And we don't have a lot of that here. It's, that's, it's a bit of, uh, the way it goes. You know, there's a music program in, in a lot of the schools. I can't speak to whether they all have it or not for sure, but, um, you know, it, it's a trade-off. I think everything, everywhere you, you would live or choose to live is trade-offs. There's pluses and minuses, and it's just what do you value? What do you want? Do you want that close-knitness that your kids can just play out on the street playing road hockey and, you know, the car's driving by? Well, they know them. They're honking mm-hmm. and moving them out of the way, and it's not a problem. You know, the city has a different set of opportunities, but it also presents a different set of challenges. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just pluses and minuses, I think. So rat race versus peace of mind, make your list. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if you want to, if you really want to simplify it for sure, um, you know, there's, if your kid's a sports kid, there's more opportunities for after after school um, sports, whether that's dance, whether that's whatever. You know, there's there's different things offered and and whatnot. But there's also you know no exchanging for that rural lifestyle of um, you know your kids just being able to be out in the country and you know it not that constant worry and fear about some things that maybe you have to think about in the city, mm. depending where you live. <laughs> okay. Code. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, no code, but you know, honestly, you live in downtown Toronto, you don't watch no. kids playing road hockey in the middle of the road. You no, know? no, exactly. Uh, you know, Portage and Maine, you're not setting up a street hockey game, but you know, you, you could do it in, in downtown Show Lake. Well, maybe not on the main street, but the next one over, you'd be pretty yeah. fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, on some kid's farm, you know, that, that's going on all the time. It's fun. Absolutely. Dad yeah. comes out and, and they, they freeze the slough and you clear it off with the with the quad and the blade and, you you know, you play hockey at Christmas, you know, yeah. that's, those things happen and it's, it's, uh, it's unique. Yeah. It's, you, you know, it's, it's interesting because you live in a rural community, you go to a huge city and you're wowed by everything you can do and where you can go and the subways and the, etc and then you have people come from really big places that don't know anything else and they come to the country and they're just like i can't believe how much space there is yeah i can't believe yeah. how i can see for miles i can't believe the sunsets i get to see i can't believe the stars i see you know and those might sound mm-hmm. like nothing to some people 
Sure, but it depends what you yeah. what you like. Well, I know that firsthand. I talked. I remember even in high school, I talked to somebody who had come from England, and they they said when they they left, I guess they flew from Toronto to Winnipeg, then they got out, then they started driving out out west to Western Manitoba, and and I think it was she was saying that between towns she was having panic attacks because it felt like they were nowhere. And then a town would come up and she would go, oh, a town, a town. And then they would leave that town. And it was like, oh, my God, <laughs> we've left civilization. <laughs> and she said, honestly, she's having panic attacks between towns. And wow. another case, we went out by Riding Mountain um, for some meetings and we took somebody from the city. And we were staying out at a, a cabin resort. And, it, you know, it's pitch black outside and the stars are out. And we walked outside and I said, just look at this. Isn't this great? And it was a really heavy, heavy star night, like oppressively like every star was out and and she was just like you know i've never seen the stars before and she lived in winnipeg and somewhere else and had to go inside she just i can't deal with this oh wow it was, it was just like that blew my mind i was like you, you're kidding <laughs> you know this is yeah right. joking about they let you overcome with beauty but yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just something they've never seen. And it's like, and then they get, you know, hopefully get used to it and, and go out and try and experience it. But there are people out there who, and I knew somebody else, the guy from Toronto, he said, I can't sleep if it's too quiet. I need the city noise. And I thought he was just the most bizarre person I'd ever met. <laughs> I was like, who would want to listen to that? You know? Well, I, I had to sleep with noise now with the uh, white noise machine for the baby. And I tell you, it's hard to go back after that. That sure puts you out and quick. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just that quiet yeah. and the peace. Of... But that, that's a little more peaceful than siren. So I will say so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the city, I, I was saying on one podcast where I think they, uh, I don't know what it is. It's sort of, they want to make as much noise as they can with a siren at 2 a.m even though they just need the person in front of them to know they're there. They want everybody for miles to understand that this, this is an emergency and yeah, you, you need go. sleep or not. We don't care. You have to know <laughs> that we're driving down the road and here we come. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, why, what is this noise pollution all about? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And then the countryside, if you hear a siren, you look up and you go, Oh, what's going on? Because you know, that's, it's rare and it's nearby. And you think, okay, what's yeah, happening with oh. my neighbors or what's going on? Right, you say, oh no. Yeah. That's what you hear out here. It's, oh, there's a siren. Oh no, what's, what happened? Yeah. yeah. And then the city, you just if you're driving, you just pull over and let them go by and you, who cares? You just, okay, right. they're gone. Now I get back to my day. Well, a siren in the city, uh, I don't know for sure, but when I'm in the city and you hear a siren, you go, oh, who are they going to get? Like, what? Mm -hmm. Who did something wrong? And here you go, oh no, what's wrong? What happened? Yeah. Something happened to someone, right? That's generally more the uh, the thought process for me anyways. Yeah, and that's that kind of, yeah, it's a reverse thinking where, you know, it's just community thinking versus um, whatever it is here. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. we're less, um, less exposed to maybe uh, some of the... I'm whatever sort of you'd like to say in yeah. broad daylight sort of things that, that, that happens a lot less here. So maybe there's much more concern for, Oh no, I hope someone didn't get in an accident or et cetera, because you know, everyone, right. So what point did you take over running crossroads this week? 
I have been here for 16 plus years, which sounds wild to say out loud, but <laughs> uh, I, uh, I've been the publisher now for about four and a half. Uh, my father retired and I bought the business from him and he went into politics, actually. Um, he's MLA for our area. So, uh, yeah, so I've been doing sort of running the ship now for about four and a half years and, uh, it's been going good. Honestly, the, the whole pandemic, you know, you definitely notice it out mm-hmm. here. It, it took a little bit of time to trickle down to the rural area. I feel like, I feel like at the start, it was very much unsure of, you know, I think people's attitudes were more, I don't know if that's coming here or if I don't know if that's going to affect us and I think that's a very fair take to have because yep. you know no one thought this was coming overseas or then to wherever or then out of New York or Toronto or wherever so um, but you know you, you definitely notice it here as far as our business goes you know you notice it down in the summer for sure um, we notice there's you know no events that's that's a big one yeah. um, obviously that takes away you know some of your story base that takes away some of your advertising base as far as things going on to write about, um, things going on that people advertise, which in turn helps, you know, pay the bills as far as paying people to write stories. Right. So that's, that's been down a bit because of all that, but, uh, you know, we, um, we've invested in our, uh, staff this year. It's probably our highest, staffing year uh, I guess I can't speak to ever but certainly since I've been in charge you know we've poured um, resources into our news department and we just want to put out a really really excellent paper and um, we've been moving in that direction for a few years now of kind of changing since I took over I kind of wanted to not that it wasn't before but sort of just renew the priority of local mm-hmm. and I know that's like a big buzzword but that's you know like we talked about before I think we need to stay local we need to work together to to be stronger and the reality is you know when advertising dollars or whatever dollars we we choose to spend at businesses or advertising or whatever it is when those dollars leave this rural area they're not coming back mm-hmm. you go and spend your money at Walmart buying groceries, Walmart's not giving that money back to this area. No. You choose to go down to the grocery store down the street, well, he pays taxes here, he lives here, he employs five people who are your neighbors, his kids go to school with your kids, you know, they pay, pay hockey fees, they volunteer down the road, all those sorts of things. So uh, I just wanted to be really, really local with this paper. So we've been steering our editorial. We've been, you know, kind of refocusing, trying to bring a little bit of a magazine feel to the paper as far as longer format stories, mm-hmm. uh, human human interest stories, a lot of feature stories, just trying to be uh, interesting and informative, I guess, is sort of... Mm-hmm. I want to be, you know, I, that's, I always say that's the best compliment someone can give me is that they tell me they learned something new about their community from the paper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, so we're trying to, we're trying to be storytellers, honestly. I, uh, I, I have a lot of interest in, you know, the arts in my, 
you know, my hobbies. I, a couple of years ago, I picked up uh, filmmaking. I, I like to make like short films and videos mm-hmm. and stuff and I paint, you know, those are sort of my creative outlets, those, those things that you have in your life that you're really passionate about. And so I was sort of, you know, thinking and how can I be more passionate about my job? And it was sort of like, well, combine the two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do um, the graphic design and the page layout and stuff at the paper. And so it's challenging yourself to come up with more interesting layouts as far as, you know, being a little, looking a little bit more like a magazine sometimes when you have big feature stories and yeah. something different and getting out of your own box and sort of trying to reinvent, reinvent a little bit what a community newspaper can be. So, what, what can it be? Well, I think that's that's where I'm saying is that I want to be more of a storyteller and less, not me personally, but our, our product to be more about storytelling sometimes and less about reporting the what exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, obviously, if there's a big major news story, we're going to be reporting the facts of what happened, right? That's that's your job as a as a newspaper by and large. But, you know, sometimes there's an event that happens. And rather than saying how many people were there and X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. sort of, you know, the, the standard questions you're asked, well, what's the story behind the story? Has someone been volunteering there for 35 years? Or who started the organization? Or yeah. who's the beneficiary behind all these all this money? What sort of interesting feature story? What's the story you can tell that someone hasn't heard before? And they go, wow, that's really interesting. You know, Mm -hmm. that's sort of where we've been trying to go for years. And uh, I honestly feel right now we're completely hitting our stride here. And I've never been more proud in in the job that our team does here. You know, we have an office of six. It's not a big staff. Uh, We put out two newspapers. I guess I haven't mentioned our other newspapers called the South Mountain Press. It operates up in the uh, Erickson, Onanool, Clear Lake, Sandy Lake area. Uh, anyone who goes up to Clear Lake for has a cottage would probably be familiar with it, um, you know. And it's it's just we want our publications to be loyal, to be local, and to be interesting. I just I, I love those mm-hmm. magazine articles where you read and it's two thousand words, and yeah. it, you know, it just gives you this big story. And and that's where we've tried to focus. And honestly, our our writers and stuff are just fantastic. And I've just been so impressed at where we've been able to kind of grow that into and just offer something different and unique. Because if you don't change, you're going to die eventually. People will become uninterested. Or somebody's going to buy you and put you into part of their scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go, <laughs> yeah, right? Fight them off, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing we really try to prioritize is positivity. Like, uh, right from the get-go, uh, mm-hmm. We we don't we don't we try very very hard. It would be very rare to find a negative story in our newspaper. If something controversial happens, how we choose to approach that is very factual. So mm-hmm. we'll go yeah. and we'll say, here's the one side of the argument. Here's the other side of the argument. Draw your own conclusions. Here are the pe- what the people involved think. Right. I yeah. I think that's responsible journalism, especially in a small town, because you know everyone who's reading that. They know you, mm-hmm. and you make an enemy. It's it's pretty hard to turn back an enemy, right? It's much easier to keep people as a friend. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's not to not do your job as a journalist. No, you just got to be real with them, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like here are the two sides. I, we're not here to run down our neighbors or our friends, right? Yeah. We're here to just tell the story. And you know, the people who are on council here aren't some larger than life figures. 
there are people who just like everyone else just who live down the street and they're you know nice simple friendly humble people just like everybody else so you know running down the decisions of a council or a mayor is just it's just so not in what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We want to tell positive stories and, and just... And it's almost and, too uh, easy too, eh? It's almost too easy just to do that kind of journalism. Well, Whereas if you have to say what went into this thought process and what went into these decisions and who you know who these people are and why they're thinking this way, that's, that's harder to do. For sure. And I think it's much more interesting story a lot of the time to... Um, to find out who someone really is rather than just the... To yeah. what they've done and stories are universal you know it's like somebody in, in new york city doing something you, you, you read a story on them and then you read a story about somebody in a small rural community and you're like well this is the same story you know it's yep. just as compelling and and that as as a regional newspaper i know i wasn't around when they were merged in 2002 but mm-hmm. i know that that was a big complaint at the time that people said there's not enough news about my community anymore mm-hmm. yeah. or my this and in this new format of feature stories and just human interest stuff, it doesn't matter as much because someone doing something totally outside the box that you didn't know that lives 20 minutes away is still so interesting mm-hmm. or so unique to that area. It's a regional approach. It's, wow, I didn't know this about my neighbor who lives 10 minutes down the road or 30 minutes down the road. That's a universal story. That's an interesting story. And, and people, you know, if it's a unique business, they can drive there for that now. Yeah. And no one's concerned about that the way they yeah. once were. Yeah, it's funny. Earlier on, you're talking about driving is different now. And I, I do remember way back when it was it was really cold in those cars to drive somewhere, you know, in the winter oh, yeah. and that. It was cold all the time, intensely it still cold. Is. And your car now, these new cars, they, they warm up fairly fast and it's a lot more comfortable. And then you go, okay. You know, the roads are the same, the conditions are the same, but just the fact that I'm a little warmer in this newfangled automobile makes that drive and my mindset different. It makes me think I can go do that as opposed to, do we really want to go? Because <laughs> we're going to be freezing. I still struggle to want to go in the middle of winter, let me tell you. Yeah. Those old those heaters the, and those, those old cars. Where you, <laughs> yeah, those are the days I, I wonder about my rural living choices, but... <laughs> The minus 40 and it's dark till nine in the morning, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's right. You you only have five to five to 10 of those yeah. days where you really question your life choices, but, uh, <laughs> exactly. no, it's, it just becomes part of life after a while, right? You're yeah. driving on an icy highway and here yep. you go. Just the way it is. Do, do, do you find now with your long form and your, and the outlook you're giving, you're reflecting into the community, do you find that your publications become you know, sort of a, uh, a status symbol for people where you'll go to the doctor and you'll see yours uh, out there with uh, some of the other, um, you know, more domineering brands. But but even then, do you do you see in people's uh, homes or are they carrying it around? Are they are they embracing it and saying, you know, this is this is part of my identity as a person from this region that this is my my paper and this is what I read and I want you to know by looking at me. I mean, I hope so. I hope we connect with people. I I certainly have never got as much positive feedback as I have in the last couple months, to be really honest. I think the momentum is there for us and what we're doing, and I think it's resonating with people. Whether they say that we are their identity, I'm I, I'm not going to go and say, say that, um, but 
I, I hope that people see value in what we do. Um, again, it, it sort of just leads me back to, you know, keeping what you have in a rural community. And, you know, interestingly, I watched a, a documentary recently. Maybe you've seen it. It was kind of a big buzz thing. It was called The Social Dilemma. Uh, this rings a bell. I'm not sure if I've seen it. On Netflix? Anyways, yeah. it, it's it's about how uh, all the big technology companies have uh, made all these algorithms that mm. are, are okay. giving you things that you're making choices for you that you don't even realize. Yeah. And basically how it's, you know, uh, manipulating elections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They said something really interesting in there, why I'm bringing this up, is that it's gotten to the point where people have no real way of distinguishing what's real news and what's fake news. Yeah. And that sort of just kind of hit home with me. I just watched this the other day and it was, you know, I think that's something that a newspaper, especially in a small town, will never have a problem with. You're never going to know <laughs> yeah. whether it's real news or it's fake news, yeah. right? And, you know, we've noticed in our area over the years that people have really jumped aboard the Facebook train, right? Mm-hmm. We can put our event on Facebook for free. Why would I pay you for an ad? Yeah. Well, I think we, for me, I, I'm trying to get across to people or not get across to them, but um, give them a real reason to choose us. Because, wow, I really like what you guys do for our communities, how you promote our communities, how you promote our businesses and the people who live here and promote the area as a whole. I really want to run my ad in there because I enjoy reading your newspaper. So I think that's sort of the spin-off benefit of giving back to your communities through being a strong newspaper that cares about people that live there, right? Mm-hmm. In turn, you hope that people will start to care more about you and see value in what you do to advertise and subscribe and support because the reality is you know your advertising dollars and your subscription dollars go back into reinvesting in the newspaper into you know making the newspaper bigger and better and having more news in the end you're going to have a better product the more you support it um really like anything so uh whether or not people say where their identity i'm not going to be as bold to say something like that but i'm hoping they certainly see value and i'm feeling the momentum of community support and people starting to really go wow i really like what you guys do that's what we hear you know and uh that's a really nice feeling it's a very rewarding feeling for a lot of hard work from um you know our staff that's great yeah and it's just going to keep going that way because in the communities out there it takes a longer time to invest that feeling because people, like you say, they know the story already. They're just reading you to see if you got it right because they've already called around and they know what's going on. And if they feel you're getting it right. And then in the other stories you're telling, you're telling their story back to them in a, in a eloquent and, you know, not a, not a finite way, but you're expanding it out. You know, it's got to, you know, they, they feel good about that. And that kind of thing as it rolls up, will uh, we'll have a long afterlife. And that's what we're trying to change, to be honest, is I don't want to tell people stories they know. And that's on our our, our team of reporters. And, you know, we sit down and we have planning meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, we decide, you know, two, three, four weeks out sometimes these stories we're going to work on. Yeah. It's not just, oh, what happened yesterday? People were at an event. They know what happened. Like you say, they're waiting for you to tell the story back to them to check whether you're right or wrong. No, no, no. We want to be we want to be telling them things they've never heard before where they go, wow, I didn't know that. That person does that. Holy, sh- holy shoot. That's cool. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that's where we're striving for. And when we hit that, that's, that's the pocket of what we want to be doing. So the reason I came in on this, I actually, uh, I saw, um, I guess there's something I posted on our social media, just the latest, uh, episode or whatever it was. And then somebody liked it. And, um, because I knew them, I went over to theirs and they posted a story or put on their timeline, um, a, a story from your publication. And it was, it was about, uh, it, and it made me wonder, my question out of that was why does Manitoba hydro hate oak trees? <laughs> those big government companies hate yeah. all the trees hey those money hungry no yeah. uh, are they done razzing northern manitoba now they want to come <laughs> they're just looking around for something to, to pick yeah i don't know uh that story is certainly certainly generated a lot of um a, a lot of feedback online which was great um for people listening who don't know what we're talking about there's uh an old oak tree uh, on a farmyard near Foxworn. And uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, the, the, uh, the family whose land it's on is uh, Pat Saloon, uh, NHL, former mm. NHL player, his uh, parents or his family. Okay. Anyway, on their land. Uh, but uh, the, there's the Brittle Transmission Project bringing the hydro lines uh, into Saskatchewan, connecting with Manitoba, and the plans were drawn up to have to remove the trees as to not change the direction of the lines, you know, more okay. than 20 feet or whatever it is. So uh, that's, that's the story that's going on. So whether they hate oak trees, I, I don't know. <laughs> but that story certainly generated a lot of feedback online, which was, uh, which was nice and interesting and surprising. So it was good. So how do you approach a story like that? Like just as an example, do you, do you send out your intrepid reporter to... Uh... To, to, to do the beat and go out and, and get the lowdown. Can you even get answers out of a out of a provincial? Um, what is it? A what's the word I'm looking for? Provincial spokesperson. Spokesperson. Yeah. yeah. Like spokesperson. No, you only communicate with communications people these days. That's the way it works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> people who have prepared responses for you. But no, actually, the uh, hydro person was wonderful to deal with, from my understanding. But. Um, so the way it works around here is generally our reporters. I sit down once a week with our editor, Rachel, who's fantastic. Uh, we only have two reporters on staff. Like I say, a staff of six, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not, we don't, we're, a, we're a, a strong but small crew. Uh, we sit down and we, our, our reporters bring story ideas and we sit down and we brainstorm like, hey, where can we take this? What can we do with this? And, you know, sometimes it's those things that seem like you're making something out of nothing right like oh they have to remove a tree wow mm. geez what's that right yeah. you go down you, you, sometimes it's those stories that surprise you and really resonate with people and turn out to be you know something that you get a call to go on a podcast about from from having put in your paper so um and then sometimes <laughs> it's the really big things that you think are gonna cause you know a bunch of discussion that you know people yeah. kind of well yeah 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 about so yeah. um yeah. You, you approach it just like everything else, right? You just try and find out what's what's going on and why do people feel this way and, you know, what causes such a strong connection, in this case, to a tree, right? Why do why do people think that this tree has importance in their community or on their farm or what does it... And oftentimes it's because, you know, it symbolizes something from their past and they, they remember having good times there, you know, whatever reason it was, 
uh, it's, again, just going back to the human interest part of stories. Because you could approach that and say, well, Hydra's going to demolish this tree and people think they shouldn't. End of story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's the human connection behind things that makes a story interesting. And those are the time, kinds of things we're trying to talk about. Why do people in Saskatchewan need electricity? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they, uh, they don't have any trees to burn, I guess. Don't they right? live in the gap? Isn't there nothing there? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's to yeah, make that... their uh, water meter work better so they don't flood our province again. Maybe. Something like that. That'd Maybe. be handy. Maybe they put it yeah. into that. We'll send them some electricity. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That was crazy. I remember that was nuts. And nobody here cared in Winnipeg about Western Manitoba being underwater. It's like, you know, this, two uh, houses in Winnipeg flood. Well, in 2011. Back in oh, okay. Dublin. Yeah. Right. It was like before that, it was like flood of the century. Winnipeg, somebody had to put sandbags around there. I was like, oh my God, we better get the prime minister out to help pitch sandbags. You know, meanwhile, years later, Western Manitoba is completely underwater. And uh, yeah, whatever, who cares? Yeah, there were some areas pretty hit this yeah. summer from the uh, the rains too, a little bit south of us here. They they mm-hmm. had quite a time. Uh, it's a weird summer out here in Western Manitoba with the uh, once in a thousand year rains. And mm-hmm. then we had four or five tornadoes. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was odd, for sure. Yeah, but not, a, don't worry, a, nothing's changing. Climate change isn't real, so... No, worry. I guess. Don't worry. There you go. <laughs> we'll go back yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you. right. Yeah. In, a weir- in a year of weird things that keep getting weirder. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. Like, people, you know, what can I do? And it's like, well, you can work where you live. You know, you can, instead of commuting, you can, you know, create economy in a small community and then live there and, and spend more time walking and not driving. If everybody in the world did that, a bunch of pollution would cut in half immediately. For sure, definitely. And sometimes it doesn't even need to be as big of shifts in how we live as that. You know, there's a lot of small things add up. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we can all do our part and, you know, make small choices, whether that's plastic consumption or whatever those things are. Turning your lights off when you leave a room, energy-efficient bulbs, you know, energy-efficient furnaces, Mm -hmm. all of those things. For sure that, you know, we're going to need some real legislative government power behind some of these things if we're going to make enough of a change to, you know, rescue the planet. Or we can just do like we've always done, just just look at people and say, well, what are you driving for? Don't you like the planet? Yeah, I mean... Don't you read Crossroads this week? Come on, (laughs) you're not cool. You know, and then they go, oh, geez, I better get cool. So I better move to a small town, I better... Uh, create a job there i better you know walk around more <laughs> you know and read good publications you know For that sure, sometimes you know, that a, works in a rural area that will be something that that someone would would oppose what you just said because a lot of the time we don't have an option but to drive for certain things right mm-hmm. we don't have the option um you know your kid let's just, hockey season's coming up right he wants to mm-hmm. play hockey well you can't just go down to the iceplex in winnipeg and have a bunch of teams meet up and play a tournament yeah you know no, you, gotta, you gotta drive a half an hour you gotta drive 45 minutes yeah. to play that game you gotta you know rural living is about commuting even if you're not commuting to work yeah you you know there's there's certain things in your towns you realistically cannot get 
that you need sometimes to go to a city for, you need to drive for recreation or entertainment or whatever it is. So, um, you know, definitely fuel consumption, oil, all of those things are, you yeah, you're not sitting in the red lights every, every three blocks either though. You're going straight through and you have better fuel economy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But you know, our cars are changing here. Cars are changing here pretty quick and yeah. evolving pretty fast too. So I feel like that, you know, you give that another few years and there'll be some realistic options as far as they can go the right distance to make um, rural living, commuting make sense in driving a more electric, eco-friendly vehicle where, you know, the, the range on a lot of these things don't make them realistic outside the city, especially mm-hmm. in the winter when you're when your uh, battery is already at 25, 30% yeah. because of the temperature. Yeah. And you rely on, and you're relying on it to get you to a certain place and you're, right. suddenly you're not sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what, um, what do you have to say? What, what haven't I uh, talked about that, uh, that's burning, burning in your mind that you want to get out there? I'm burning in my mind. I, I what do you want know. to say to Manitoba? Yeah. I don't know. Be safe. Treat each other nicely. Let's uh, be nice to everyone. Let's just get along, right? Let's let's just be happy. If the if the the year can teach you anything, it's just let's just all be happy, right? Let's not end up like our neighbors to the south right now and everything. There's enough there's enough problems with the pandemic and everything else than than to be fighting with each other. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. that's I think that would be. What I would say is let's just let's just get along. Let's just let's let's you know realize what's important and and move forward towards happiness and not worry about what everyone else is doing. Bring back friendly Manitoba. There you go. Right. Look enough, to the back of the car, eh? Friendly this, Manitoba. Uh, enough of the spirited energy, whatever that is. Yeah. I always got a kick out of that scene it on a bag from the uh, liquor liquor uh, liquor store. <laughs> spirited energy. Well, that's, that's, spirited energy. that's a good that's a good, good, good well, catch rate yeah that's one they use way back and then they put on all the all the liquor stores as government so they and i was like yeah that's spirited energy all right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. true but yeah, uh but, but yeah it used to be friendly manitoba forever and then it was i don't know who what kind of grumpy person got in control and said no more no more being nice so yeah, we gotta I bring like that, that back and the orbits yeah. we gotta bring the orbits back too What's the orbit? Oh, you don't remember those? Launch your garbage into orbit? Oh. I don't know. That might be before my time. They were garbage cans along all the highways. And I think it was a a Manitoban that invented it. It was around, it looked like a spaceship at that time, just a round garbage can, white garbage can, with a hole in one side facing the highway. And you would, as you accumulated garbage in in your vehicle, you could pull over. And without getting out, you could just open your window and you could throw your garbage. So they called it launch your garbage into orbit and okay. you would throw it in there. And then you also, there's a dispenser for plastic garbage bags and you could, this is when you had hand rollers for your windows and you could hang the, the plastic bag on your, on your window roller. And so you had bags that you could put garbage into. And then when you came along another orbit, you could stop and throw it, just pitch it in there, launch it into orbit. And oh, there you go. And those are around forever, and it was awesome. And then they disappeared with some new government plan at the time. And um, I just read a, a thing where somebody in Winnipeg um, 
was hooked on them and, and was always talking about them. And their spouse got them one of the last ones they could find. And they have it in, in their front yard now. <laughs> and they're so happy nice. about it. But oh, yeah, that, that used to be the kind of communities we had where, you know, you didn't. And I, I was part of the scouts and all that, the beavers and scouts and everything. We picked up so much garbage and, you know, along the roadways and cleaning up communities. And it was that whole generation where people stopped just throwing their garbage into the ditch or into the bush or wherever. And now that's why everything's so clean now. And uh, mm-hmm. and when I see somebody throwing like stuff out a window, I just, I'm just like, oh, you idiot. Do you know how long Absolutely. I spent cleaning that up? So Yep. The 4-H along the highway cleaning mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. And there's, yeah, no, we collect bottles, you know, a bottle drive. And you we went to the ditch and everybody's throwing their beer bottles or their pop bottles into the ditch. You'd pick them up, take them in for money, raise money. But yep. uh, I don't think they can do that now because people don't litter as much. Well, in the end, probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's it, you know, it's just like that that proves that you can change people's thinking on uh, on things that they were just in the habit of doing. Right? Mm-hmm. It was ah, well, just throw it at the window when you're driving, right? And then you know, you instill it in the next generation. You make change. Yeah. You make change. You make change. And I think the younger generation now is maybe more tapped into understanding they need to make a change as far as you know we were talking about climate change and Mm -hmm. stuff and and hopefully that's sort of what's going to happen but the unfortunate part is that you know people 50 60 70 years old their senior are the ones that are in charge of everything and they don't have the same thinking so we got to get them aligned as well if we're going to make some real meaningful change on things yeah and that's the thing it doesn't take 200 years now to change things we want it really fast everybody has that instant gratification so which i think we need right now too it, sometimes it's instantly how fast we can change things negative. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could put that same thinking behind making changes for a positive? Yeah. You know? It's, it's, it's uh, yeah. Well, you know, maybe I'll go start a community newspaper and, and put some of that positive energy forward. Oh, wait, you're already doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't come compete against me, Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Is, is, rather, is this going on with other community newspapers you're finding? Like, is this a trend that uh, that you're part of? Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Because uh, that... you're part of the the Manitoba Community Newspaper Association. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say that I picked it up from somewhere else and ran with their idea. You mm-hmm. know, it was just sort of a um, something we sort of evolved into like i say it was one yeah. one choice of saying we want to be more decidedly local and taking a step in that direction and then taking another step and another step and another step and getting the ball rolling as far as changing and adapting into something that felt like the the natural course of where we wanted to head and i think we're we're there now and it's a very exciting place to be but i'm not sure that you know longer form feature storytelling is is you know the new industry norm uh, i'm sure a lot of people do it um, to some degree, whether they do it, you know, as, as decidedly or not, I don't know, but I can tell there, there's definitely a lot of strong community newspapers in the province. It's not a, it's not a dying breed as much as you hear, you know, a few just closed and this and that, there's a lot of good people working at, at a lot of good newspapers and a lot of strong journalism and reporting, uh, coming out that, you know, give back to their communities across the province because I know those people, I know the publishers, I know a lot of the reporters and, 
and uh, they're doing great work themselves, right? They're they're trying to offer back to the communities that they grew up in or that they moved to or et cetera, and uh, just trying to do the same things we're doing in the end, whether they get there the same way, uh, the same approach to it. We're all just trying to serve our community and, and uh, you know, leave it better than we than we found it. Nice. And that's all you can do. Yeah. It's the goal. <laughs> it's a big job in the end, but yeah, that's the, that's what you're headed for. Yes, sir. You're only as good as your last story, though. Well, uh, that can't be true. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> no. You, you like to think it's a it's a collective whole, but sometimes yeah. sometimes it feels that way. It, it's hard, uh, you know, if you ever have something and you you you, know, you make a mistake or something, and sometimes yeah. you hear the. You feel like you hear the negative more than the positive, but uh, well, then you I say have, we'll go back two issues and read that one because that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we the the positive feedback we've we've been getting the last few months is just outstanding, and you know, new subscribers and that, all of those sorts of things um, from you know further out in the area, you know, sort of expanding the circle a little bit, and you know, new subscribers joining on and new advertisers and everything. You can really feel the the support of the communities and the people in it. And it's, it's really nice to uh, sort of feel like you're getting something back. Not that that's the reason you do it, but you know, you, you, you see people supporting what you're doing is a really good feeling. Okay. So uh, you've been to the crossroads. You're a better person now. Things have changed for you. I hope you didn't sign any documents <laughs> and uh, you know, but get that paper. You know, the one thing you want to do is sign up for the the uh, the email newsletter version of Crossroads this week. That's what you want to do. You know, if you're from the area, uh, then you should be in touch. And that's a great way to stay in touch. And then you can throw some ads in there because you're probably a remote business. And uh, you can advertise through Ryan's paper, through Crossroads this week. And you can say, you know. I'm from the area. I do this kind of work. I don't live there anymore, but I'm way over here. But I want to support everybody. So that's how you do it. You got to go to the crossroads and you got to make that deal. So there you go. We've made ours and we're happy about it. I'm very happy about it. Okay. Um, the other crossroads, like we talked about in the beginning, are the uh, social medias and the podcatchers and the friends and the everybody coming together around the term Manitobaville. So just whenever you are looking at your social media, just go, oh yeah, Manitobaville, type it and see what happens. And um, then follow us. And uh, follow us, and then if you're following on a podcatcher, you can do a, a rating or you can do a review. These things all apparently help in the uh, digisphere as far as making us more findable for other people who might just uh, trip across us if they're looking up Manitoba or Ville or, um, you know, stories about Manitoba or, you know, whatever it is, or maybe one of our subjects catches the keyword and boom, they're there, Manitobaville. And suddenly we're at the nexus of their crossroads and it's all a good thing. So once again, until next time, this is Mahangel. You're listening to the Manitobaville podcast. And just a reminder, we're copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.